Hey guys, thanks for checking out the Shine Your Light podcast. Uh, This is a podcast that brings encouraging and uplifting stories from those that uh, we're in community with each and every day, sometimes uh, in passing, but it's just uplifting, encouraging stories on how God is working in your life, how God's worked in your life, and maybe where God's taking you. So today's uh, episode 20, and I kind of feel compelled again to say, um, we're back after a long period of time, but we are. I mean, yes. I looked at it. Episode 19 was on March 5th. Wow. So, you know, we had the move that kind of, you know, delayed us a little bit. And then the pandemic comes along. But um, yep. hopefully we keep trying to get a rhythm back and uh, getting these things going again. But sure. episode 20 with Barbara Ray. How are you doing today, Barbara? I'm fabulous. How are you? Awesome. I'm doing great. Welcome. And uh, we appreciate you coming out and sharing with us. Um, yes. Pastor Scott's always the co-host and uh, bringing... Uh, bringing his uh, vision and his side of it. And we always like to start out with, um, since we're here at Foundation Community Church, is, you know, get Pastor Scott to kind of let us know what's going on with the church and uh, what's been happening in the last week with you. Church is going great. Obviously, we're uh, had a lot of adversity here in the last couple of months with not being able to uh, do what we are used to. But uh, the good part of it that kind of came out of all the pandemic situation was we have really stretched our reach digitally and virtually so um we're growing our congregation outside the four walls which we love and uh it's caused us to kind of reflect on how we do church here uh but it is really really good to be back for i think has it been three weeks brian or only two i think it's been three so we're coming up on four and uh it's just been good to kind of be back to normal you see people that are really excited about that as well so um yeah church is going great and um we're just excited about what god's doing in the lives of everybody here we call the foundation family and then uh of course school has been uh a a great challenge as well uh you know i work at edgewood city schools as their curriculum director and delivering instruction to students who you cannot see is very very hard and we have about four thousand of them and uh, it's been very difficult yesterday and the day before was a very cool day we do what we do to see kids get that diploma and get out there and get started in life and we marched uh gosh i don't know somewhere between 300 and 350 kids we spent two days in a row doing virtual graduation they pull up they get out of their car they come across the stage family comes out gets the photos so the whole uh everything we live streamed it and stuff so it was really really cool to at least see them finish their year on a positive note uh didn't end exactly the way they wanted but it was cool that's sure. why we do what we do yep that's great so barb how's uh, your your week been my week is great your, it's been great busy yeah um for me work-wise it's over Thursdays are my Friday, so it's good. Okay. So three-day weekend every week? Uh, Most of them, but it's really not a day off because I see clients, um, patients in mental health. Fridays are kind of like my uh, admin day. So um, sometimes I have work to do and sometimes I don't. (laughs) Sure, sure. All right. Well, um, again, um, you know, welcome to the podcast, and we're excited to kind of hear your story. But and there really is no framework in a way that that you want to share it. Just kind of introduce yourself, and we'll kind of go and and uh, you know, Scott and I will interject and probably have some questions along the way. So, you know, tell us um, a little bit about um, maybe your occupation. Maybe that's a good way to start Mm -hmm. and what you do. Yeah. um, Can I ask Scott a question really fast? Because just kind of. I've been seeing all of these virtual graduations and I've Mm -hmm. been seeing all the different things that schools are doing and the feedback because in my practice I do have a lot of high school age kids and they seem to really like some of the things that are 
yeah different about it it's been it. the and same as church like so we've learned some cool stuff that we can right. continue to do sure. we just can't continue to do it all remotely right so yeah sure. there's going to be some cool stuff that comes out of this right. we've learned a great deal about yeah. how to do education a little bit differently mm-hmm. but, i hope so mm-hmm. at least yeah. the the ceremonies seem to be a little bit more tailored towards each individual student versus mm-hmm. this you know the typical yeah. Um, arena graduation yeah. where they walk across the stage and it just kind of looks like yeah it was very personable very different yeah. but once the once the people got there we we're like wow i think i think they kind of like this i mean they probably trade it back for the traditional just because that's how we are right yeah. we're creatures yeah. of habit we like <laughs> right. what we like but at the end of the day the families really enjoyed being able to get out of the car walk up to the stage you know see them get that diploma sure. i mean we 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 pretty much built an entire stage for them yeah and and did the whole call the name go across get the diploma cap and gown yeah that's so great we, mm-hmm. so yeah. yeah we've learned a ton about that we do have a virtual academy at edgewood's got um over 200 kids in it already i think we have I'll say the best in Butler County. I think we got the best in Southwest Ohio, uh, mainly attributed because we got really good kids and our staff there's out of sight. But yeah, we're we're kind of rocking and rolling virtually as far as that anyway. Yeah, good. Well, it seemed really personal mm-hmm. and individualized, and I really you know hopefully there's a good meshing of the two in years to come of mm-hmm. ways to make it more personal. Yes, sure, sure. Yep. So um, yeah, I'm a mental health therapist, um, behavioral health, alcohol and drug all of the above my specialties are trauma and substance abuse disorders been working in that field for about 15 years all across the lifespan population veterans um, worked at the va okay then i went to work with kids in trauma um and and i think what you see is it's all the same cycle it's it's children who are born into families with addiction um, end up going through some childhood traumas and then not learning the coping skills they need to be adults and then they turn to substance abuse and then they end up following and completing that cycle so for me um, working with kids was you know time limited because that's something that not everybody can do Um, so i just decided to go back into the adult population and focused more on the substance use disorder and trauma and just recently well i guess it's been almost two years now went into my own private practice okay yeah and i didn't realize that here until recently when we kind of reconnected that Mm -hmm. that that you were doing that it's pretty cool wow and what what general area are you i am in centerville Centerville? okay Mm -hmm. so did you when did you discover we we said this is kind of organic so i got my first question that just led me to to this one um when did you discover that this was something that you wanted to do that you kind of call do you feel like it's a calling or without a doubt without a doubt it's it's my mission my calling i wouldn't say that i discovered it i feel like god just kept like hip checking me yeah. towards it uh, yeah. over time and um through a series of um really unfortunate things happened in my life it kind of made me make a decision real quick and and get mm-hmm. serious about my education and being able to support my children and um, so, yeah, I just uh, knew that that's what I was born to do. Um, I've been listening to people my whole life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I, it seemed like the perfect fit for me. Okay, good. Um, tell us a little bit about your faith. You know, when did um, when did you give your life to Jesus? And, and you know, what's, what's that background like? Well, that's where my story with Scott comes in. <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I would say that growing up, my, my parents divorced when I was two and both of them remarried before I have a memory of anything other than that. I think I was three and four. My mom was Christian. Um, I grew up here in Beaver Creek with my mom and stepdad, and I'd say they were Christian. I'm, I'm, they're definitely saved, but they're not practicing, and God wasn't um, a big part of our home. My dad, he remarried and converted to Judaism, so that was kind of a weird thing mm-hmm. for me and struggling growing up and being a, trying to understand um, that in and of itself. So... I would say that I always knew who God was, but I didn't really get it. Right. But in high school, I met Jennifer, mm-hmm. <laughs> and kind of all that changed, and I just knew I wanted some of what she had. I mean, I don't know how to mm-hmm. say that any other way. I just wanted what I saw in her and the peace and her family. I mean, I just love the McPherson family so much. They're my second family to me. And so, yeah, I think that was it. And I think it probably took another seven years before I really gave uh, my life to Jesus. Uh, and I'll remember that baptism uh, my for the rest of my life is the greatest moment of my life. And I kind of chuckle that it was in uh, Pastor Jim and Kay's pool. I was going to ask, yeah. <laughs> Pools are great for yeah. that. We've already had one in our pool, so yeah. It was, it was amazing, and my mom was there to, to witness that with me, and I was going into a new phase of my life, and yeah, that's, that, that's probably the defining moment of when the shift happened. Okay, mm-hmm. great. What, so did you meet, I should know this answer, but I, but I don't, did you meet Jennifer like right in the ninth grade or seventh grade? or? No, I... I <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day. I don't even really remember how we met. I have issues with memory, um, and so she probably remembers well. But I want to say it was junior or senior year. It was towards the end. But since we both, I believe, graduated early Mm -hmm. from high school and then proceeded to go to Lee College part one together. Yeah, I've heard about that. (laughs) Part one? Uh, Well, there's two parts. But um, yeah, so it had to have been sometime junior, senior year. That's cool. So so what'd you you learn through that whole Lee experience? Like, tell Uh, tell us a a little bit about that. Well, first, I learned I had no clue what I was doing at 17. Um, And I'm definitely... A, a wild child and spirit. Um, I go against the grain most times yeah. in my life. And going there, where I believe at that time there was still a dress code. Probably was. Yeah. And Heck, I was. There could not... be one now. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember Jennifer and I would get up and ready for class and literally have on heels like three inch, four inch heels and hair done to the nines and everything. And I thought, this is not what I thought. She was down there looking for a husband though. So that's why she had her hair done. (laughs) Yeah, That was probably not on my radar, but I ended, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I don't think either one of us lasted very long. It was homesickville. Mm -hmm. I think we were put in a, in a, in a dorm that was really for seniors and, you know, I think that we were probably a little bougie at the time and wanted to be in the nicer dorms. And then we realized, well, we're not with people we know, and it just didn't work. So we came home. Okay. 
So and that's part one. That's part one. Yeah. I, I think it was the, so that would have been winter. So we graduated in December of 92, so early in our senior year. And so that would have probably been that winter. And then I think we went back in the fall. Yes. We went back in the fall and that was a great semester. And um, I'm pretty sure she finished and I skipped town about a week before finals. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Like I said, I learned the hard way. I sure. never did anything easy. Sure. So, um, what? How old were you then when um, you gave your life to Jesus and the baptism? Twenty-five. Twenty-five. Okay. Was you attending church regularly at that time? Um, you know, I was a, a part of Oak Creek Church. I, I went there. I, I feel like it was fairly regular, mm -hmm. but I had met my now ex-husband, and he was in the Navy. So. You know, I had gone back and forth to Virginia a little bit at that time, but, you know, not really, not really kind of an active part of the church, mm -hmm. I would say, but definitely was involved in the church. Sure. Yeah, there was a, there was a, a reason mm -hmm. you were going, even if it was just, you know, somewhat inconsistently, because obviously, um, you know, you, you met Jesus at that, or at least you gave your life at that point so that's you know that's very pivotal mm -hmm. um so after that uh, after that point was there kind of a an immediacy when god started kind of moving kind of more directing you um or tugging mm -hmm. or you even said off the air you know kind of uh, would you say hip check or yes <laughs> hip checking you um or did that take some time after you know at 25 was it a little bit later and well, I would be really honest, and I had only kind of acknowledged this for the first time out loud about six or eight months ago to a friend of mine, mm -hmm. that it was instant. The, the second that I, you know, accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, the pull was intense. And I mean, like, intense. And that scared me. And so I think that if anything... There was a lot of years of me pulling away um, and being afraid of what I knew was a calling that was bigger than what I was ready to understand, mm -hmm. big time. Yeah. I, I tell, you know, and I, I always felt weird saying that because I felt like people would think I was boasting or trying to think I'm special, and it wasn't that at all. It was so intense that it literally just terrified me because I let shame get into me and shame let me think that I wasn't good enough to be used in, in mm -hmm. any big way. So I, I would definitely say that the pull was there and if anything, it just took me a long time to to surrender to sure, it. Sure, sure. And I think that's something that every, I think most, I mean, you know, I don't want to yeah. assume oh, yeah. here, but Pastor Scott's probably a great example when the call was placed on him finally to plant a church, even though you feel it there's we all go through that probably scared to death you know we know it's god we know he's moving us mm -hmm. but man we're wanting to pull back it's like whoa you know i'm not ready for this you know um so uh, it's pretty it's pretty cool to hear that you know i mean especially instantaneously like you said right out of the gate god began moving yeah i listen i remember being at lee i remember all of those times with the mcpherson's it was clear it's not like I didn't know it then, mm -hmm. but it was the moment that I made the choice, and that's when it was it was pretty strong. And you know, I liked what you said um, 
I think it was last weekend when you said that, you know, you were talking about, um, Pastor Scott, sorry, when you were talking about saying yes mm-hmm. and saying yes and when you actually used the example of raising your hand. Right. And, and what a big thing that is. And I'm so glad you said that because I remember that was scary for me and I think it's scary for all of us. It's and crazy, yeah. For you to admit that was just so, so yeah. awesome and powerful. Yeah, sure. The raising of a hand in church is a big deal. Isn't that why? I've never quite thought about it. And how big of a deal is that really in church? That's huge, right? It is big. How, how did that become a barrier? I mean, I know the answer, you know what I mean? But like, wow, such a simple thing that the enemy, you know, it deals. It's, it's shame. It's a, mm-hmm. And it's, a, it's evidence of surrender when you do it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, right. I don't want to go as far as to say like it's symbolic or symbolism, but there's a level of surrender in the, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, and yeah, I think at even a comfort level, um, as you, if yeah. you're young in your faith, just uh, even more comfortable to be anywhere, yeah, and throw a hand up to you know right. raise your hand to What's God, that mean? You right? Know, right? <laughs> yeah, so cool. Yeah, I think like we said before, it's the shame. You know, the shame makes us not want to be seen. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. makes us afraid to be seen and viewed. And when you raise your hand in a room full of people, they're going to look at you sure. and. So I think that's part of it, too, and being able to surrender that, that shame is a big deal. Mm-hmm. It is. It's huge. So um, tell us, okay, so, you know, you were baptized and God started moving. What was, what was some of those areas or where was, where was you feeling that tug was, gonna, was trying to lead you at that time? Well, um, like I said, I've really not really said this out loud. And as I am saying it out loud, I'm saying it for all the world to hear. So mm-hmm. praise God. Um, you know, I used to have these visions, and I don't mean like a vision, vision, but these glimpses. And I'm a, I'm a visual person, so I always think in visual contexts. So I just used to have these visions of me standing on a stage. And it would just shake me. Mm-hmm. I just like, whoa, you know. So I thought, well, that's not me. Anybody that knows me knows I don't like public speaking. I'm that is not me. And I think that was part of what made me, you know, really scared because I took that too literally. Like mm-hmm. that's what he wanted me to do. And it's taken years for me to realize that maybe he wants me to have that many people hear my voice and my you know, what I have to say and then spread his word and spread the word about Jesus Christ one at a time, but it doesn't Mm -hmm. have Mm -hmm. to be in that way. So I'm trying to talk myself down off the stage, but I think I've always just had that feeling that there was a purpose Mm -hmm. and that he wanted me to tell my story. The story's just been a little bit hard to get through. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. That's good stuff, especially when we start to realize, you know, we get that vision. You know, I think we all probably mm-hmm. had it. And then when it kind of starts to define itself, a little, it becomes a little more clear. Right. You're kind of like, oh, that's, yeah, yeah. that's why I was having that feeling. It yeah. wasn't necessarily exactly the black and white like you were saying where maybe, and maybe you do step on a platform one day and, and share <laughs> your testimony or do something. But um but more about, you know, you acknowledging that you have a voice, you have a story. We all do. We have a testimony. Mm-hmm. And we're all called to share Jesus Christ with the, with those around us. Yeah, because so, yeah, the stage hey, looks different for everybody, yes. right? Your stage right. happens to be a therapy office a lot of times, right? Sharing Absolutely. Your, mm-hmm. your stage all is, day. you know, it's it's shining your light every day, right? Where's right. the stage that you shine your light on? So mm-hmm. that's it's kind of cool that you brought that out, that... 
vision vision can get really it's not as um it's way more common than i used to think it was i thought like it was reserved for these special whatever like vision is uh it's everyday life right Mm -hmm. and like and it doesn't always look see our our life experiences cause us to formulate pictures in our mind right so then we got to decipher between these pictures in our mind based upon life's experience and then what is god trying to tell me see because those are the only experiences i've got to derive these thoughts from or this picture but then as you live your life and you commit to god and you surrender you're like oh my stage this is my stage or this is what that meant so for you to be able to pick up on that Mm -hmm. is very discerning because a lot of people spend their whole life looking for that stage yes and it wasn't what you necessarily seen it exactly like that you know what i mean it's like in when when in when daniel used to interpret dreams well he saw them clearly but those having the dream were like man what is this all about i'm seeing this i'm seeing this and it's it has to be deciphered and you can only do that through discernment and knowledge so for you to pick up on that is mm-hmm. yeah it's very less common than you think there's many people in your shoes that still be chasing that stage yeah no not, yeah. i'm not chasing the stage but i've certainly been able to to break it down to think i can reach 10,000 people one at a time just as Absolutely. much as you can reach 10,000 people at once and, and and we're all important and we all have that story and listen if he leads me to a stage i'm gonna go Absolutely yeah 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 and, and like be, he said it might be yeah i might be huffing and puffing but i'm yeah. gonna go mm-hmm. <laughs> huffing and puffing so, and, and, you know, we talk about that in, in mental health practice, too, and I talk to people about dreams and nightmares. It's like it's, sometimes it's connected to your emotional processing. It's what are you feeling? Don't pay attention to the visions that you're having in the dream. Pay attention to the way you felt in the dream because that's what your dream's trying to tell you. It's not this person chasing you down the street, maybe. It's the sure. fact that you feel like you can't get away from something. Like So I try to encourage people to really you know get past those visuals and think about the the emotions that you're feeling and what it is you're trying to to tell yourself in your dreams so it's kind of that same thing sure sure so what um when did you start getting into um therapy and and doing what you're doing now well i probably started therapy about 18 but i don't think that's what you mean (laughs) (laughs) i'm just kidding um so well, I tell you, I went through a really, um, it's a whole other podcast, the story of my 20-year marriage, and we'll do that another time. But I would say that in the midst of that, there was a moment where I realized I was going to have to support my my children, and I didn't finish my degree. And I was kind of like, well, here we go. We're going back to school because I'm, they were my kids were 18 months and three years old at the time. Okay. And so I went back to school, I pursued psychology, and then I went, um, right before I was graduating, I had an advisor sit down with me and say, you know, I think you should look at a social work master's instead of a you know, psychology master's just because it gives you so much more opportunity. And in that moment, I was a little too big for myself. And I thought, well, I don't want to get in people's lives. I just want to work with their mind. And boy that's another one of those things you say that comes back to bite you but um so it was god really kind of intervening and putting me on a different path because i would have chosen a completely different graduate program and i wouldn't be anywhere near where i am right now that's for sure so i 
I think just because that's where he was leading me, I just kind of went. I'd like to say that I made some awesome decision for myself, but I guess I just listened. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. a bunch of little decisions. A bunch of little decisions. Um, My son, who's now 18, which seems crazy, started to show his autism when he was three. So there was a lot that being in school kind of provided me an opportunity to still be a mom and it was a really challenging couple of years doing graduate school at Ohio yeah. State and taking care of my kids but you know everything kind of was laid out and I've always been provided for so wow and you've been practicing for gosh I'm gonna say almost 15 years some of that could be my internships, but I went to the VA for two years. I worked in their residential dual diagnosis unit, um, and that was an amazing opportunity. I absolutely love our our nation's veterans. They're mm-hmm. a population really close to my heart. I miss serving them so much. Um, I ended up having to not stay there because I really couldn't work a full-time job and care for my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, my son with autism, is, his needs were just, you know, so vast at times that I needed to have the flexibility to be able to do what I needed to do. So that led me to working with kids and um, kids in trauma. So I did mental health for kids that were some in foster care, but mostly they were still with their natural families and the counties were intervening, trying to keep them from disrupting and going into foster care. So that was an extremely challenging four years of my life to have, you know, five and six and seven year old clients with horrific trauma Mm -hmm. um, and trying to, and, but also a blessing to be able to work with such amazing families and actually do work that matters so yeah but there's only so much of that you can take yeah Uh yeah so like i said then i left that and i went to work in an alcohol and drug program um worked my way up to the clinical director of that program It was a large program we were in montgomery county green county clark county um and at one time you know six seven eight hundred clients in our um program at once it was a huge undertaking and the honor, I think, of my career to be able to, to work with all of the staff and the people. But, you know, God was kind of calling me to another another place. So yeah. I moved on. Hmm. And that's when you went in your private practice? I did. I moved into private practice from there. And I think this has been a better fit for me. And, and I'll tell you why. As much as I love substance abuse because it's a population that so desperately needs us so desperately needs people that care about them and tell them they matter but it's also a population where i can talk about jesus and i can talk about god and when you're working in a program that's primarily Mm -hmm. government funded you can't do that Mm -hmm. and so i always found that to be frustrating frustrating and a barrier i mean of course i would if clients wanted too, but you always had to be careful. So, you know, in private practice, it's allowed me to market myself as a Christian and draw in that population and be able to talk about Jesus all day. And that's just been, I think, the the best blessing. Wow, that's for awesome. me. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah, so, me too. like, how often that. do you get to share? I mean, is it is it pretty much like 
you said you market yourself as that, which I've looked at your, I don't even know what I looked at, wherever you market like private practice therapy things or whatever. I yeah, we're all along so, psychology today. Yeah, like single read the bio us. or whatever, yeah. and it says, you know, Christian, I can't remember, so I'm paraphrasing, but so do they Do they come to you a lot of times for that specific reason and you're able to like, like kind of dive? I, I know it's like organic, right? Kind of like this, but yes. like, are you able to dive into that like all the time? You know, Absolutely, and that happens kind of in the intake session. Uh, they will tell me, you know, I will. They they'll come around and tell me I chose you because it says you're a Christian. Are you really a Christian? And I okay. think, well, why would I say? <laughs> and I had a, a new client come to me um, just about two weeks ago and say, well, the last lady said she was a Christian, but she really wasn't. And I thought, well, who would do that? I mean. Yeah. That doesn't, okay. But they do, I will be honest, they will interview me. If they come to me for that, they will interview me. And I'm like, ooh, I hope I passed the test. But (laughs) yeah, I mean, it's part of that initial process of creating their treatment plans is how much do you want um, your faith in God? And do you want to include things like the Bible and the scripture or what's important to you? But it's been a huge, huge blessing. That's interesting. Yeah. So they they kind of can plan it out a little bit, and that gives you some guidance on okay, how do I approach some of the things we might experience through all this? Okay, nice. You know, I'd like to say that I um, sit back and let them lead, but sometimes I, you know yeah, me, yeah. I'm like well, bolt you're through the, the door. I'm like, can we talk about Jesus for a minute? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's you know it's it's essential I think in substance abuse work for the majority of people, but in in mental health ways. Um, you know, for a lot of people, I know for me that God is the biggest coping skill I have. And mm-hmm. there are things um, that makes it really hard when you go through all the coping skills. It's like, well, did you walk today? Did you journal? Did you do your deep breathing? And they're like, huh, you know, and I just want to say, well, did you pray today? But it's hard because mm-hmm. there's so many clients that aren't open to that. And so. Okay. Those are probably the hardest sessions. The one where I know what they need is Jesus, and I can't um, even bring it up. Sure. Those but are they came hard. to you knowing you well, know, that that's part of your bio. Some do. Yeah. Some do, and mm-hmm. some, some don't probably necessarily mm-hmm. see that on there, but they make it clear that they're not people of faith, and they don't want that mm-hmm. to be. Gotcha. If you mm-hmm. come in my office, it's pretty clear I am because I've got my crosses on the wall, and yeah. um, you see that about me. But they'll say, you know, I respect that, but I don't believe. And I'll say, and I, and I respect that, and I don't ever try to force anything, but that's probably some of the challenging times when you just want to say, you know, I, I honestly had a client today and she just doesn't get it, doesn't get the worth of being alive, doesn't understand why she's mm. worth anything. And I thought, I just want to say, are you kidding? Right. Because God made you mm-hmm. and Jesus died for you. He poured blood out on the cross for you. Of course you're worth it. And I couldn't say any of that. And mm. I think I left that session with just tears in my eyes thinking, I, you know, praying that God would give me the answers because I, mm-hmm. those are the hard times, but. More times than not, I get to share yeah. God with my clients, and um, it's yeah, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> wow, yeah, that's the stage right there. Isn't it? Yeah, that's pretty cool. I was going to ask, you know, I was going to see how it kind of teed up to where, or even ask the question, you know, can you? wasn't even thinking about private practice versus you know government regulated, but it, you answered it pretty clear well it's it depends on who's paying you Mm -hmm. if the government is paying you through a medicaid or a medicare source then 
Uh-uh. Yeah. So it's, and unfortunately, a lot of the people that are in substance use treatment programs are, you know, utilizing some kind of a Medicaid funding to do that because the majority of them, because well, I ran an intensive outpatient, I shouldn't say I ran it, I was the clinical director of that program. So it was intensive outpatient. They were there 10, 15 hours a week with us and, you know, they're not working. And so a lot of that was, you know, on your care source or mm-hmm. whatever your Medicaid provider is. So. Sure. Hmm. So um, my next question would be, through the years, I, I think I might know the answer to, to one name that may come to light here is, who were some of the influences you had? You know, your more faith-based influences throughout your life. Oh, man. Well, probably first and foremost, my papa. Okay. He is my, he has passed on since, but he is definitely um, a big influence in my life. He, um, he really was the one member of my family that loved Jesus. And he didn't always love Jesus. He found Jesus later in his life, but it was perfect timing for me. And I remember just spending time with him and, you know, he bought me my Bible and his was exactly like it. And we went through and we tabbed all the sections. And um, so whenever we were together, we were in our Bible. And and so I think for me, it's just having that person who's my blood and in my family that probably touched me the deepest. And when he passed away, I just said, I don't want anything but his Bible. And that's the only thing that I think I, I think I took two shirts in a Bible yeah. and I study from that Bible every morning I leave it at home I bring mine with me everywhere I go but you know that's the big influence because every day he's with me in that in that Bible time it's mm-hmm. awesome it's cool. and then obviously the McPherson family I mean I mm-hmm. I can't say it enough um, just how much that family means to me and the extended McPherson family, Scott, yeah, and yeah. I remember going to your dad's church, Franklin, and Franklin. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've been in and out a couple times here sure. and there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we we all do that, you know, up and down, in and out, around. Yeah. I mean, if, if if that was that your question, like oh, yeah. humanly mm-hmm. people that yeah. were my influences, yeah, mm-hmm. that's. I, I'm sure there's more, but you know, I'm definitely it's. Uh, like I told Pastor Jim, you know, when I went to church this last Sunday, it'd been a minute. I'm not even going to lie. It had been years since I'd been in that church, which makes me just not really proud to say, but it was like coming home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like you come home after a really long trip and you sit down and it's like my bed. My, yeah. my, I just lay yeah, here. Nothing like your yeah. own bed. It's nothing <laughs> like that. And so it it reminds you of that. And I'm just so... Uh, be careful. I'm grateful that that the opportunities because of COVID happened mm-hmm. that I could mm-hmm. reconnect online. Um, because the only, you know the the main reason that I stopped going to church was my son. Like I said, it three started his autism. He was extremely challenging. He had a lot of um, violent and aggressive behaviors. So probably around the age of five or six. I couldn't leave him with anybody. It was just me. And I, I mean, right. there was an incident where he ran across the pulpit at church and yelling stuff and climbed up a tree and wouldn't come down. I was like, all right, I'm done. I'm done trying. Um, and I mean, then I guess I just never got back in the habit of going back. Yeah. But 
So I'm thankful that I've been able to reconnect and, and watch yeah. you, Scott, and, uh, and... I call that spiritual inertia. Once yeah. you get it rolling, man, it's hard to stop it. But once you get it stopped, it's hard to get it going again. Yeah, yeah. Because back you to know. that quote we talk about, discipline creates desire. Yeah. As much as it can create a positive habit, yeah, you can get a... Mm-hmm. Or a, a negative, or not a you know something going. You just get comfortable, and that becomes your habit to not go, or not right. study the word, or not pray, mm-hmm. as much as the uh, you know it's the wrong inertia. I'll tell you too. This part of that other podcast we got to do someday. Mm-hmm. Maybe you'll do mm-hmm. a women's podcast where I can talk uh, about yeah. this uh, yeah, this it. whole thing about, like I said, this twenty year marriage of of mine. Because the last ten years we were legally separated and we weren't together. And my divorce was final on February 26th, I think. And then COVID happened. And I'm telling you that when that divorce was final, the fact that our spirits were finally disconnected, it's almost like I hadn't been able to taste or smell or touch in 10 years. And then all of a sudden that Mm distance I don't know how to explain sure. it but yeah. but I'll tell you Pastor Jim said don't do that don't get legally separated you got to get the divorce and I thought well I I need health insurance and my son and his autism and I'm not working and he's like okay but you're going to be spiritually connected to him until you divorce and I thought okay I'm going to pray on that and I thought about it through what I understood about God at the time mm-hmm. and I had no idea what he meant until like I said the divorce was final and boom it's like this plexiglass but in between me and God was gone and I could touch and I could feel and I could experience it again and that's where this happened at the same time and I'm like all right let's do this (laughs) (laughs) but it's weird it's it's interesting like I said that part of the story um, about what I had gone through in my spirit for those 20 years Um, so but I think that's been the biggest um, kind of energy behind me feeling spiritually alive again yeah sure sure what is it for you that um whether it be a daily thing or you know there's there's studying the word there's attending church there's getting involved there's uh, praying what is it for you that that is kind of like that state is there a staple thing that gets you through is it prayer is it your prayer life is it you know you said you carry your bible everywhere you go is it that what's that rock that you kind of lean back on and in those times well there's a lot of things I do but my rock is surrender mm-hmm. I mean I have become like the master at that and I remember having such resistance to it and having such resistance to being weak and now I'm all about being weak I am all about being like nope and having that surrender mm-hmm. and I it's like my go-to um, but I think that for me like you said I definitely start every morning and my bible study time with myself at least 30 minutes every morning and you know i i I don't know that i'm really disciplined about how i do it sometimes i will when when uh, pastor scott or pastor jim are preaching i'll write down the scriptures that you refer to and then i'll go back in my week and kind of look them up and read Mm -hmm. them or sometimes i'll just go where I'm being led, which is the text I sent you about whatever that Matthew. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I was not so sure about doing this podcast. And then he put me right on the scripture that said, shine your light. And I was like, okay, <laughs> uh, I'm going to do it. So 
Um, but yeah, I like to write it down and then I research kind of what it means. Mm-hmm. And then I write that down too. And, um, and then I write kind of a little, um, little snippet of that in my daily planner. So I take it with me and I kind of refer to that. But at the very beginning of every day, I will say, you know, Lord, just take what is in me that's not mine to keep. Just take it because I have had things ripped away that I was trying to hold on to. Mm. And that hurts so much more than just letting him take it on his terms. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's probably it. Just surrender, prayer. I pray every morning before work, even though I've already had my prayer time, I sit down before I do any of my sessions and I just you know, surrender to it, ask God to work through me and speak through me and allow me to see things that, you know, I can't with my human um, understanding see and guide my words. And sometimes mid session, I'll start praying again because I'm feeling a little little lost. But um, it's a lot of prayer. Like you, I think it was you just last night said, prayer is really just an all day thing. And I've just gotten really comfortable with that, I think not trying to make it harder than it is. Right, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. So um, in your studies, you have a favorite scripture, favorite book of the Bible, story? Um, that. Gosh, I, you know, I, I'm always kind of drawn to Romans. Mm-hmm. Anything from Paul's kind of I love it. my jam. Yeah, um, yeah. I was just reading a really amazing book, um, and I can't think of... Her name, she wrote it. It's it's a Christian book, and it's I think it's called How to Make Your Life Not Suck. Yeah, <laughs> but it's written for it's written for women. It's written for young women, and really, she uses this book to kind of um, talk about the life of Ruth hmm. and how we have modern day challenges, and and how you know Ruth handled her business, and how we can learn from that. So, I I think. Yeah, I, I don't know that I have a favorite. Today's sure. was pretty good. Yeah, yeah I love Romans. I, do too. I love yeah. all Paul stuff. Mm-hmm. Book of James is always fun. Yeah, yeah, you've kind of my me jam. On that one. James yeah. is my jam. He he, yeah. right out of the gate yeah, too. He packs, a, packs a lot right in that <laughs> that book there, but that's awesome. So um, I got to ask this question: What's God scaring you with now? You know, we kind of yeah. talked about. A little bit of your past. I can't wait to hear that. Currently, wanna, you ask it different to me, but I want to hear that. Yeah, yeah, you know, we we know what you're kind of currently doing, and and obviously it 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 is uh, very rewarding. You um you get to shine your light. <laughs> yeah, you're blessed with being able to shine your light. But uh, is there anything that that's putting that pressure on you now? I'm kind of curious how Pastor Scott was going to ask. <laughs> I was going to. Well, so there's always more, right? Um, gosh, I think I have a sermon series called There's More, mm-hmm. maybe a three or four a week. Well, God spoke that to me. You've heard that story. Mm-hmm. I'm going down 75 South on my way to Norwood High School and just so excited that 10 people came to church, man. Like, we got a church, man. 10 people came to church, foundation, and just bam, there's more. And I'm like, get to school. I write down this post-it notes. I don't forget it. I didn't know what more was. I knew yeah. maybe what the next day might be or mm-hmm. what I wanted the sure. next week to be, but there's there's always more. And now that I reflect back, um, maybe I could have explained it. I don't know. Hindsight's twenty twenty, but like so, 
this isn't everything for Barb. Like, you know what I mean? Can, where do you feel he's leading you? You know what I mean? Do you have any area where he's kind of pushing you or nudging you? I don't know. Don't you have like a magic god ball over there? Are you I pastors, do don't they have I one do of those? Not. I, I can give you a Bible that'd just be a lamp yeah. to your next step. <laughs> next, Maybe yeah. if you can get a lamp under your feet. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. I don't. You know, I don't know. I mm -hmm. I've I'm really. I've always been on kind of a plan to open my own practice mm -hmm. to do it my way. I think that we're not doing it as good as we could be doing it, especially in the areas of trauma and, and substance use. We, we, we try to sit in a room for an hour and, and try to have real change and effect on people's lives, and then they leave, and they don't feel like they can do the things we're asking them to do. So my vision, I guess, for myself um, professionally is just to create a practice where we can do real things while we're doing you know, therapeutic things, you know, mm -hmm. be able to work on some functional fitness and and talk about, you know, being outside with our bare feet in the grass and feeling of, of everything of God's creation and not just talking about that in an office. So hopefully that's my next step um, to create my own agency or practice and be able to, mm. to fill that in some way. And, you know, I, I don't. That's really a big, know. that's a big one, though. It is. Yeah, I, I've been thinking. Um, so in my practice, I and because I, I do standard outpatient practice, which means once a week, you know, you're basic mm -hmm. once a week for an hour. And when somebody comes in with a substance use disorder, alcoholism, um, you know, you name it, I have a hard time taking them on if they're not working a 12 step program, because I think that's so essential. I mean, it's critical. It's critical for long term yes. recovery. Mm -hmm. And so. When, I, I, when I'm working with a client, I know if they have a good sponsor or not. Like, mm -hmm. I just know, and I've never even met them, but I can tell. And when I know that's in their life, and, and I'm in their life, and, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm very good at what I do because it's been gifted and blessed mm -hmm. upon to me, it's like the perfect marriage, and, and these clients really see long-term recovery. So I feel like in some way trying to partner with people that are doing support groups and work with them because we can't work effectively without each other. Without that 12-step um, program having the mental health understanding mm -hmm. and vice versa, like say I could get a client to talk about their character defects, right? Your pride, your ego, sure. and all these things, but I, I, the 12 steps is how they teach you how to do it, how to deal with that. and they don't necessarily always know how to identify mm. kind of what's going right. on. So I, I, I hope at some point to be able to work together so we're not in such silos. You know, we all work in silos in this mm -hmm. in this world. Um, but to be able to come together. So hopefully, you know, God makes a way for that. We, um, we've been talking recently here, ironically. So we, we have our staying surrendered group every every Monday night, and boy, we get a, we get a gang of people in here, which is twelve step program. We get fifteen to thirty. That's um, great. It's a great group. In fact, I came by to check on something the other day, and I forgot. I'm like, wow, there's twenty cars in the parking lot. Yeah. Staying surrendered is going on. Um, there's. I'd, I was unfamiliar with it, and I'm still, to a great degree, unfamiliar with it, but I'm learning more about the 12 steps, at least to the degree that have churches missed 
something to do with dis- discipleship and steps, mm-hmm. right? Like everybody's experience is the same and discovering and surrendering is, is true discipleship and those 12 steps or some sort of discovery of all of that. I'm, I'm calling it 12 steps because that, mm-hmm. but is that, and in fact, I've had some pretty deep conversations with Dustin about it. Because yeah. He, he kind of, he's got my, he's got my spiritual mind thinking about that. Like there's some discipleship characteristics in there. And when you mesh that with the word and, and with scripture and, it's almost individual. We don't need a canned program anymore, man. It's right. individualized discipleship for people, mm-hmm. and 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 I I think I think the church at large is they're kind of missing it, right? We want them to go through our growth track, week one, week two, week sure. three, week four. Yeah. Man, yes, you're a member now. Well, now what do I do? Well, there's just more to it. So yeah. it's it's there. This is coming at me from a couple angles now. Yeah. So I think I'm supposed to start listening mm-hmm. and maybe yeah. maybe doing some stuff yeah. about discipleship's it. Discipleship's big. It's a biggie. I, yeah. I agree with you. I think I think it's you know um, I think it's a different formula for different churches. Yeah. And depending on your um, congregation, your staff. But I've always kind of tying in with that. I think I've, I've shared this before. But you know what happens after you give your life to Jesus? Mm-hmm. Is there anything? Is there any program that could maybe walk a little further with you the next you know few mm-hmm. weeks as you have questions you know it's like um so we get excited when someone gives their life but that's when discipleship if you had a program or you know i think groups you yeah. know groups are great you, you send know. them out on the battlefield like hey great you're in the army now hey good luck it's rough out there <laughs> like you know right right <laughs> yes yes it's a, it's a biggie yeah. yes in 12-step programs, you know, I've worked with people in NA and AA, mm-hmm. and there's all kinds of 12-step mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. programs. And, and even within those communities, they, they do it differently. Right. And what I love um, about the sponsorship is it's just regular people, right? Just mm-hmm. regular people that have been through the steps and had some successful recovery then reaching out and sponsoring someone else through the steps, which is fantastic and at the same time can get messy because they're just people, right? Yeah. They don't have um, superpowers mm-hmm. or ability to heal anyone. And I think at times that we have to remember that these are just people serving people, which is why I feel like I can offer something to help because you can get a, a, a person sober, but if that person had years of childhood abuse and trauma and you get them sober and they don't have a clue how to deal mm-hmm. with their pain and what they've been through, they're not going to stay sober. So you have right. to be able to do um, both and recognize um, that that there's more to it and that we would be doing them a disservice to just get them sober and not help them heal. So that's what I mean when I think that we're a good, when you pair us together. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a home run. It's a home run. And like I said, I when I have people come in and they want to do um, counseling with me on standard outpatients, the first question I ask, are you open to or are you engaged in 12 steps? And I will tell them I'm very reluctant if you're not. And I usually give it a couple months. And if they're not pros- you know, progressing, I'll... Hmm. Say you know you go to a higher level of care because this isn't going to work mm-hmm. without both. Sure, sounds like that's a little bit of where of, of the direction you're heading. I mean, to me, it's really clear. It's like <laughs> as clear as the nose on my face. You know what right. I mean? You just don't know what it all looks like. Mm-hmm. You know? Yep. Which is the crazy thing about God that it's 
serving God's all really, really good, right? But our humanity creates frustration and the lack of not being able to see what God can see. Like he already sees all that and um but yeah, there's there's way more to what you just like there's a lot of parts to that yeah. that are gonna come about. Mm-hmm. I sure hope so. That's yes. the plan. I yeah. surrender to it. Um yeah. but I'll wait and see. Sure, sure. Well that's been great. I mean it's um you know, I've loved we love these podcasts. We just love it when someone comes on. And um, is there anything you want to say in addition before we kind of close out? Is there anything that well, you have? Well, I was going to offer an opportunity for yep. people to at least, um, I mean, maybe, maybe there's somebody listening that's like, hey, I need some help. You know, yeah. if, if they did want to seek out your practice to right. potentially work with you, sure. wh- how can they find you? Mm-hmm. Well, like we said, psychology today. Um okay. My, Which is on the internet. It is on the internet. Okay. And <laughs> Google I'm in Centerville, and I'll tell you that I'm still listed under my, my married name because I got my maiden name back right when COVID happened and the DMV shut down. So okay. it's still, um, it's under um, Brigman, B R I G M A N. Okay. Um, or they can reach out to, to you, okay. I'm sure, sure. or yep. and, and you can, you know, lead that way. I'm, okay. I'm more than open. Um, you know, I, I feel like I didn't intend at all to talk about that today, no, and, and I didn't and think that this was what, but I'm I didn't more want than it to end to. without doing that. Yeah, you know, absolutely. there could be somebody listening that thinks, sure. hey, man, I, I, I kind of like the way she communicates, or I like what she had to say, and you never want to pass up the opportunity absolutely. for somebody to pursue some help. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Barb, again, thank you so much for uh, coming on and sharing your story. I mean, if, if anyone wants to listen to this podcast, I'll be, it's obviously always on Anchor Podcast, Google Podcast, Apple, um, various other uh, platforms. Um, we'll get it out here in the next, uh, probably released here. Well, by the time you're listening to it, it's been released, right? Yeah. So I kind of get a little bit uh, sideways on, are yeah. we live or are we not live? Yeah. But well, uh, Somebody needs to know that, too, because I, I didn't know anything about that. <laughs> so anyway... Um, well, this is going to be out here within the next uh, probably 12 hours or so and um, and uh, episode 20 and we're going to get this this uh, inertia as uh, Pastor Scott yes. said if I can just say that yes. like I said I, I didn't realize that this was going to be the topic of conversation today mm-hmm. but I just feel really led to say that if anybody is listening that is struggling um, with substance use disorder or uh, mental health issues and trauma any of those things that we live in a world that wants to shame that and i am the anti-shame i i believe like you said shine your light because you know whatever is hidden is shameful and the second you shine light on that it's no longer um, shameful and and the world can't use it against you so please know that if you're struggling today that there is there's there's help and there's hope and that you were created exactly to to be the person that you are and that you didn't make wrong turns and you didn't make mistakes and, and and God was always with you and will always be with you. And please reach out and ask for help today. Uh, it's never, ever too late. And there's always, always hope. So thank you guys so much mm. for allowing me to say that. Mm-hmm. And hopefully somebody hears that, that, you know, feels wow. hoping. Yeah, that's a perfect that. ending. Man. Perfect ending. You can't, can't say beat anything that, more. Brian. Nope. Yeah. So again, thanks for checking this out and we're Peace. out of here. Peace. See you guys.